0: central city used to be a peaceful place now something dark and terrifying is erupting
1: from the city's core i thought you were upstairs what do you think you
0: are doing central city is crumbling its people live in fear they will watch as we destroy their hero cops one by one cross-reference against the sample from that gun shop they hit on tuesday barry allen is a scientist not a hero but when lightning strikes it transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary heart rate is accelerating muscle tissue expanding you're holding at 200 miles per hour 300
1: 347 miles an hour before the equipment crashed what's happening to me
0: while the city goes crazy so does barry's metabolism
1: i can't believe it was over so quickly
0: after all that anticipation why bother For a fight that's over in two rounds. The question is, which will blow up first? No more games. I want you to build a hood.
1: Cover my face so no one will know who I am. You know that insignia they all wear on their backs? Well, I've got one smile.
0: that speeding phantom that just flew by us. Was it Quicksilver? The Whizzer? Sonic the Hedgehog? No, it was Central City's own Scarlet Speedster, The Flash. And tonight, we are gathering around the TV set to watch his adventures on the small screen. But there's nothing small about this show. And to take you through the mad dash of heroism, it's your old pals from Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, where we relive the world of 90s comic books through the pages of Wizard Magazine.
1: I'm Adam. And jumping out of the Speed Force, I'm Michael
0: yes and following in the footsteps of superman batman wonder woman the incredible hulk even spider-man to a lesser extent in 1990 the flash got his own live action television series in prime time some of you may remember it some of you may not but either way we're ready to get you up to speed so to speak but before we talk about the show itself how about a little history on the flash in his original home comic books
1: Alright, so let's dive right into it. So, his first appearance was in 1940, created by Gardner Fox, who presented readers with a hero named Jay Garrick that inhaled water, or like, hard water vapor, (laughs) right? Weird. Science! The the 40s. The the 40s! (laughs) Yeah. Which gained super speed, and then started wearing a mercury helmet- and with lightning bolts on his chest to fight crime. The character was published for 11 years in his own solo adventures and also as a founding member of one of my favorite teams, the Justice Society of America. In showcase number four in 1956, they introduced the Silver Age of Comics with Barry Allen, which is the most well-known Flash character, just like you would consider... Hal Jordan being the most well-known Green Lantern. Same kind of thing, same kind of genre, both Silver Age founding characters. Uh, He was a police scientist becoming the Flash in a lab accident and wearing an all-red costume that kept his identity concealed inside of a ring on his finger, which honestly to me was one of the coolest ways to like have your secret identity appear was through that flash ring which was always a cool thing to me i felt he was also a founding member of the justice league of america barry could vibrate through walls of our dimension into earth Two, my favorite elseworlds by the way and would team up with golden age flash jay garrick which introduced the idea of the multiverse yeah
0: i think it's worth stopping real quick here and just mentioning how pivotal a character the flash was for what we would consider ultimately the modern age of comics because if you go back to that original jay garrick version in 1940 and the justice society of america you know it was kind of kind of ragtag heroes it was just it was a different time and this idea of barry allen being the flash in the silver age where it's all about you know this science and it's it's very much influenced by kind of 50s movies and, and science fiction literature and things like that. And I think so the idea that even though the Flash is not one of the top three characters that they always talk about, you know, the holy trinity of DC comics of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, he's so pivotal because of that, he's, because his introduction brought superheroes back into the comic book mainstream. And plus that idea, like I just said there, the idea of having a multiverse, like these connected universes that could take old comic book history and say, oh, well, it's just another Earth. It's another world. And now they can interact with the modern version and the old version. Like, that's a huge deal, which has heavily, heavily influenced comic books and even comic book movies nowadays.
1: And, you know, to piggyback on that, Barry Allen, The Flash, in particular, has been pivotal in at least two, if not three, of the most significant stories in all of DC Comics. Crisis on Infinite Earths is probably his most significant, which is what I'm going to talk about next, which was uh, The Flash was published until issue 350. Then he died heroically in Crisis on Infinite Earths number 8 in 1985, which was recently recreated on the CW crossover and John Wesley Shipp reprised his role from this show that we're going to talk about tonight in that crossover, and it was epic. Uh, the second other thing that was really significant, which I don't really have in my notes here but I think is important, is in the comics, there was a story in the late 2000s called Flashpoint, and it's been retold and recreated in a way on the CW but not to the extent of the book. And it's rumored that the new Flash movie is going to be based around Flashpoint, where Barry travels back in time to save his mother and then creates a parallel uh, universe when he comes back, which then created the new 52. And uh, it was a very significant story that happened there. And the third, but it's not as significant, is he plays a very important role in Final Crisis as well, where Batman kills dark side and batman dies and barry allen the flash kind of has to figure out a way to fix the anti-life equation and stop it and so on and so forth so those are really three significant things that focus around barry allen and the speed force and the multiverse because of him
0: and for those of you who don't know, DC Comics constantly in crisis. Everything's a crisis over there. Constantly. <laughs> they overreact quite a bit, I guess.
1: We're gonna talk about that later because there's a couple <laughs> uh, a crisis that literally just occurred yesterday at DC Comics. That's pretty significant. Oh wow! And uh, it, oh yeah, it's 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 huge breaking news for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, but we'll talk about it as we go later on. So for most of us, especially as an as a '90s kid or, like, you know, we were born in the early 80s, but our comic era really began in the 90s, Wally West, who was known as Kid Flash for most of pre-1985, he was uh, he joined the Flash comics, and then he was also in the Teen Titans, but after Barry dies, he picks up the mantle of the Flash, and for most of the rest of the 80s, all of the 90s, and the early 2000s until about 2000, I think it was eight Wally West was the flash. And for me, other than this show, whenever I thought about the flash growing up, I always thought about Wally West uh, because of the, the justice league animated series and the comic books were always Wally West as the flash. And he was, it was kind of interesting as a character because he always felt like he lived in Barry's shadow He was trying to live up to be as good as him. And he had different vulnerabilities and different weaknesses than Barry did, which were unique, too, to the character.
0: Yeah, and I Uh, think that that's worth getting into a discussion here real quick then, Michael. So did you read a lot of Flash comics growing up?
1: In the 90s, I read a little bit. I didn't read them in the 80s at all, but I did – years later pick up the trades by like um like len ween and and jeff johns runs on wally west and i did read them later in life but uh but yeah but but just for me just just thinking about the flash growing up especially because of the justice league cartoon wally west was like my flash and and michael rosenbaum who also played lex luthor on smallville voiced wally west on that show and that's like The voice that I heard in my head as wally west or as the flash i should say
0: yeah, See, and it's interesting for me it was always barry allen because yeah i wasn't reading the contemporary flash comics but when this show came out and the flash mania hit me i went to the comic book store and i bought this hardcover collection called the greatest flash stories ever told i
1: remember that book i know that book
0: yeah and so I, i've read it and reread it and it's all got you know the original flash jay garrick it's got you know barry allen stories barry allen with kid flash and then you know stories where even the justice league is involved you know up until you know right before barry was dying so it was really interesting for me because i was just like well silver age flash that's my flash that's my go-to and i always knew wally west as kid flash because i read the teen titans book as well but i never saw him you know, in, in his adult years, I guess you would say, of carrying on the mantle, like you said. So
1: so to piggyback on something you said there, though, this show in particular, because as you know, and as everybody who's ever met me knows, Batman 89 is, you know, my paramount of superhero films, this particular portrayal of Barry Allen by John Wesley Shipp was to me and still is to this day when i think of barry allen as a character i think of him his voice his portrayal his personality everything whenever i think of barry allen it's only john wesley ship even though grant gustin does a great job on the cw show to me he doesn't feel like barry allen to me ezra miller in the justice league movie does not feel like Barry Allen to me at all. <laughs> I know he—he he actually feels to me like Wally West. Like he should have been. They should have made him Wally West. In my yeah. Opinion.
0: Well, and it, it's kind of interesting because you know the truth of the matter is. Barry Allen, aside from heroic deeds, the character himself in all the years of comics, he himself is not that interesting. He's just kind of this, you know, generic blonde hero type. Right. And, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot of conflicts. He was just kind of like, I'm a smart guy. I can figure out how to save the day and I've done it. You know? And even when they tried to add all the drama and stuff, it made his universe so convoluted with all this, like, you know, like future and time time travelers and him being accused of murdering his wife and all this weird stuff and that i mean like the series ended very confusingly, and people yeah. weren't buying it, because basically they had chased him off with weird continuity, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like you say, when, the, when this show comes around, the truth is, you know, we talk about in the comics, but The Flash had appeared on TV prior to this. Uh, you know, initially, as a minor part of, like, Challenge of the Super Friends, that cartoon series mm-hmm. in the late 70s, but he didn't really have very much screen time, he was just no. kind of an also-ran, if you will. Huh?
1: huh yeah
0: but like you said you know as much uh many years later that in the justice league animated series and justice league unlimited that he really became a key part of that series and i think Mm. where he stood out in the world of animation but in live action there was a live-action version of the character that appeared as part of a TV special in 1979 called Legends of the Superheroes.
1: Oh, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. I remember I, I, the, the costume with the weird, like, <laughs> uh, like the, the cowl had these weird kind of like eye things. It just looks strange. Yes, I do remember. Yeah, because
0: because what it was was basically saying let's get Adam West and Burt Ward to return as Batman and Robin you know it's been like 12 11 years since they were on TV and then they brought in a whole bunch of other DC characters that had never been in live action before like Hawkman, the Huntress Green Mm -hmm. Lantern but it was kind of a goofy take on these characters you know you had Frank Gorshin back as the Riddler leading a team Mm -hmm. of villains and then they did a second one that was a follow up that was the most of the superheroes that was stupider, you know, and so it's just, it was not yet a time in history where people were taking superheroes very seriously except in the case of, say, Wonder Woman on TV or the Incredible Hulk were, you know, big at this time, and it, it was just in DC's mind, I guess, they were just like, well, you know, when it's Batman related, you know, you, know, or you can throw a bunch of other characters into the mix, people won't care, and it was kind of similar to me because I didn't see either of those specials as a kid. I wasn't around Uh, in 1979. (laughs) Michael, you weren't there either. But in 1988, there was the Superman 50th anniversary TV special that was hosted by Dana Carvey from Saturday Night Live. (laughs) And I actually did not know who he was at the time, and I didn't (laughs) know that a lot of the people that appeared in this special, it was kind of like a fake... Documentary about Superman, and and they have like all sorts of comedic actors in it. And then at the very end, everybody's like, "Oh, we're doing the big gala for Superman's fiftieth anniversary." And there's all these superheroes getting out of limousines, like on walking the red carpet. So like, you know, Green Lantern comes out with a model on his arm, and one of the characters was the Flash. So this guy in a Flash costume, you know, that was like full on
1: spandex mode, you know, oh, and it
0: out. So that was the first time. I actually saw The Flash in live action.
1: Hopefully they'll put that on HBO Max when that comes out and everyone will be able to see it. That would be hilarious.
0: It's on YouTube if you guys want to check it out. Superman Uh 50th Anniversary. I had it on VHS for years because I taped it off TV. That was appointment television for me when that came out. (laughs) Some of you might remember it. Um, Speaking (laughs) of 50-year anniversaries, I mean, 1990 was the 50th year since The Flash's creation, and then he gets his own TV show. Yeah. Which is a big deal. But we'll talk about that soon. But first... We want to let you know that in celebration of the 30th anniversary of this Flash TV show, the Retro Network is sponsoring a giveaway where you can win the complete series of The Flash on DVD and even for several runners-up, a copy of the Flash TV special comic book from 1991. We'll give you all the contest rules at the end of the episode so you can enter to win. And now back to the show.
1: So the funny thing about the Flash, one little tidbit about his history, one more little thing is so Barry Allen was dead after Crisis on Infinite Earths for a long time, longer than most comic book characters stay dead from 85 to I think about I think it was 2008 when they did Flash Rebirth and brought him back officially because I have the run. I even have the poster from Comic-Con that year. And uh, it's a pretty cool poster. I have it in my basement somewhere.
0: And, and, I mean, it was a big deal. It was the same thing, like, for many years. There were two characters they said you would never bring back. That was Peter Parker's Uncle Ben and Bucky from Captain America. And they broke the rule on one of those. Yeah. (laughs) Bucky came back as the Winter Soldier, and everybody's seen that movie now. But that was, like, a major taboo. Like, they're bringing Bucky back, and luckily they did it right. And then they were bringing Barry Allen back. That was another one, like, oh, he died so heroically let's not tarnish that legacy so what did you think about the rebirth
1: so i like rebirth a lot Uh, i i love jeff johns and I, i love what he did with like green lantern rebirth with hal jordan when he came back but it was one of those things where it was like he died so heroically and being a dc comics fan it was almost like one of those things where it's like oh We don't bring back Bruce Wayne's parents. We don't bring back Barry Allen. Like We don't need to. He he died in such an epic way that saved and rewrote the entire universe. Do we need to? And then when they bring him back, what happens is in the book, it basically negates all the rest of the Flash characters. Uh, Like Jay Garrick becomes an ancillary character. Wally West – changes his costume, and then kind of just fades away. And and ever since then, Wally West has been kind of all over the place in comics. Sometimes he's gone, sometimes he's not gone. Uh, there's a story that happened this past year, which we'll talk about later and a couple different things. And Bart Allen, who after Infinite Crisis, Bart Allen is like the grandson of Barry Allen and Iris West, and he was the Flash for a while. And then he kind of goes away too. Uh, and then they bring him back younger again. It's a it's a mess.
0: Yeah, and in the 90s, he was known as Impulse, for he those was, of you who might have yeah. been reading or, or at least checking in on comics back then.
1: Yeah, he was Impulse. He was a good guy. Sometimes he was a bad guy. Sometimes it was convoluted, as always, with comics. But overall, as a story, it's a good story, and it's definitely interesting. It's, it's worth the read if you're interested in the Flash. But it does change the way a lot of the other Flashes were seen and used. There's another Flash character who – well, not – she's a speedster character, uh, was Liberty Bell, who was also a Justice Society character, and she had a really significant role in Justice Society, but once Barry came back, she was gone too, and she was one of the few female speed characters – that I really thought was a great character and really well used, because she used math and science to get her to tap into the speed force, and then she just vanished out of thin air, and they never explained where she went to. And that kind of bothered me. I'm like, you have all these cool characters. Like, Batman has a array of sidekicks and so on and so forth. Why can't Barry Allen have multiple people that help him, you know, are speed-related? And that kind of was weird.
0: Yeah, so. so now back in 1990, though this world was not so convoluted it was no. very cut and dry there was Barry there was Wally West currently and the creators of the show kind of meshed the two and they they took the two worlds of Barry Allen and Wally West and created their hybrid for this Barry Allen when this series premiered in September 1990 as part of the fall CBS lineup on Thursday nights at 8 p.m., it was actually pit against The Simpsons and The Cosby Show. Ooh. So that's how much confidence <laughs> that CBS had. Um, and they actually they put a lot of money into this. I mean, there was a lot of promotion for the show with ads in comic books and TV Guide. There was even a cash giveaway contest that was promoted with a full-body Cardboard cutout at Seven Eleven of this Flash, and it was uh, basically he had this word balloon that popped out of his mouth that said you could win a thousand dollars just for watching. You know, so it was one of those things where they were really trying to do what They could we actually uh, contacted John Wesley Ship on Twitter and asked him about that giveaway. You know, and he's like, ah, uh, yeah, I remember it. Uh, <laughs> some people still bring those to me at uh, at conventions and things to sign, and then. What was really interesting was there was this guy, David Williams, at uh, Dantivirus, if you want to check him out on Twitter. He's like, I also remember someone at our local 7-Eleven getting busted trying to steal the cardboard stand-up. They made it halfway to the door, but literally ran into a police officer who was in the store getting coffee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is awesome they were not fast enough to get past there uh, um apparently not but but the series had a two hour series premiere that basically was the first live action flash movie and we're going to get more into detail about that a little bit later on uh but i'm curious for you michael was that your first exposure to this flash tv series did you catch that did you buy into all the hype did you hear about it
1: Did I catch it? I sat there and watched it on the night it came on. I remember sitting there for two hours and begging my parents, like, please, can I stay up to 10 o'clock to watch this? Like, this was a big deal for me. And then... You know, now rewatching it again, I'm like, this should have been released in theaters. It was, it's a movie, it's a legit movie.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely was there as well. Again, appointment television nice. for me. You see that coming in, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'll be there. Uh, what's interesting though is TV Guide. This is how they were promoting it in their fall preview special. They said. Domino's Pizza ought to love this series. The Flash is the ultimate speed freak, a comic book superhero who can run fast enough to cause a sonic boom. But moving at that speed takes a lot of energy, so The Flash has been known to gobble down four pizzas at one sitting. In everyday life, he's Barry Allen, a police chemist in the Central City Crime Lab. How did he get to be that fast? It was your basic comic book freak accident. One day Barry was in his lab with all those exotic chemicals lying around. There was a weird electrical storm and he got zapped. Now he fights crime at the speed of sound. He also spends a lot of time with a comely scientist, Tina McGee, who helps him deal with his new abilities. That doesn't go down well with Barry's girlfriend, Iris. Even in the first episode, Barry and Iris are on again, off again. Will Tina and Barry get to be an item? Or will they just be fast friends? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I gotta use those puns. And what's interesting, actually, is if you look at also the promotional stills that they shot, You know, just like photographs of each of the characters, especially John Wesley Shipp as Barry Allen. If anybody has also seen older publicity shots for the Incredible Hulk series... Very, very similar.
1: Oh, they copycat of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean he's in a lab coat. There's a lot of him being like superimposed with different images of himself then becoming the Flash, just like they used to do with Bill Bixby becoming the Lou Ferrigno Hulk. Like yeah, so they definitely were using that as a template. But the sad part about this is I watched that first two hour special, I caught the second episode and recorded it, and then I could not find the show again. For several weeks because they started it at Thursdays at 8 p.m., but then it got interrupted for like baseball playoffs. And then then the Gulf War was happening at the time. So sometimes it got preempted for news reports. Then they moved it to Wednesday night for Sweeps Week. And finally to Saturdays at 8. And so it just it made it very hard for me to find it as a kid. And yes, I knew how to use the TV guide, but if it wasn't like in my face and I couldn't count on it to say, okay, yeah. This is my time. I'm going to watch it because at that point I wasn't heavily into The Simpsons yet, and I certainly wasn't watching The Cosby Show. And so for me, it was like I could have been, you know, their appointment television. You know, would have worked for me, but they didn't have the appointment written down. <laughs> it wasn't in pen; it was in pencil. They kept erasing it.
1: So, and, and was, for our younger you know, listeners, there was no DVR back then, so yeah. you had to hope. And, and there was very rarely reruns of a show that you couldn't catch it in another night it didn't exist you were just okay am i going to get it tonight am i ever going to see it again it's like my parents would talk about like watching m*ash in the 70s and be like oh i had to watch it every week cuz i'll never see it again now you can watch it anytime you want but that was the thing like if you didn't know when it was on you had to pay attention i remember going through the, we, i didn't have tv guide but like our newspaper had the TV listings for the mm-hmm. week and I used to get it on Sunday and I would sit there and I'd go through the newspaper like, oh, there's in the flashes. And I would say to my mom, I'm like, mom, OK, we can't go out this night. We can't go to grandma's house. I got to be home to watch this show. And she'd be like, uh, OK, as long as your homework's done. I'm like, all right, cool, mom. Yes, but. I gotta watch this show, sorry.
0: (laughs) Well, what's interesting, too, is, you know, you would think that they would have a little bit more going on, because it says here, like, in the actual promo ad in TV Guide, it's got just this city and this huge lightning bolt, and it's just all dark, and it says, it will happen only once. And when it does, you'll want to be there. Witness the creation, the Flash. His justice is fast and furious. (laughs) But then it's like, and good luck if you want to catch him ever after. After this, you know, Um, actually, I see right now, actually, part of the promotion at the very bottom, it says as well, watch, match and win in the CBS Kmart Get Ready giveaway tonight. So I don't know if that played into the Flash uh, giveaway or if that came later. But what's interesting about this series as well is the behind the scenes. Just how did you get a Flash TV series on the air at this time, and especially one of this quality. Um, you know, and I found a lot of information. I've gotten issues of Starlog and comic scene magazine. Probably the most in depth was the, flash tv special comic book because in the back of it it has an extensive write-up of a set visit by the people from dc comics they sent a folks from their office and they just have this detailed diary of like all these shooting schedules and editing and all these different moments that they got to witness of the show's creation which was really cool but the show was developed by two guys named danny bilson and paul DeMeo. do those names ring a bell for you michael Didn't they do The Rocketeer? They did. They are actually the writers of The Rocketeer, which came out a year later. But also a part of that is that they had actually... In addition to writing the film, they were the ones who basically prepped the whole concept of the movie with another producer to get it to Disney, to get Disney interested to produce the film and all those things. In fact, the creator of The Rocketeer, Dave Stevens, he's the one who did the character redesign on the Flash suit for this series.
1: He did a good job. So yeah,
0: I- <laughs> and uh, we'll get into a little bit more detail about how that was created. But uh, really, Michael, what would you say was the main catalyst for why a network would say, yeah, superheroes seem like good business right now?
1: Batman 89. In, you know, in particular, like, because this show came out in 1990 and Batman was everything in 1989 – it was very unique, and I, I I might be get jumping ahead, but you know, for a lot of you guys that don't know this, Danny Elfman, who did the music for Batman '89, also did the music for this show, at least for the pilot and a lot of the other theme songs for different characters. So they're like, "Whoa, we got Danny Elfman to do Batman. We got to ride this wave. Everybody loves that theme song. He's got to do the Flash theme song, and it was it, it worked for a lot of people. they were like, "Oh my goodness." He did Batman. How could he, he's doing a TV show now? This is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I've been humming it all week. I mean, that, that's a great theme. It's very catchy. It is very reminiscent of Batman without being 100%, you know, right on top of it. But yeah, so comic books were hot properties. And in fact, you know, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo had originally pitched a series that was very comic booky. It involved the daughter of Green Arrow teaming up with a different version of The Flash, who wasn't Barry Allen or Wally or anything, and they also had another character in the mix called Block from DC Comics. Mm. And but it was just it was too deep into comics lore for the network to greenlight. They're like, there's too much going on in this show, so it was recommended that they just focus on one hero. And they decided to use the Flash because they were fans. They had been reading comic books, and in fact, they had developed other TV shows. Like there was one called The Human Target, which was based on a short-lived DC Comics series, and uh, an even shorter-lived television series that resulted
1: actually starred Rick Springfield in the lead role. Well, they, they also remade that human target in the early 2000s and also it only lasted about 10 episodes and got tanked but it was a cool show the pilot anyway so yes, yeah they've tried to reboot that show a few times
0: so but they got the green light so they're developing this flash tv series but the thing was the network wanted almost no comic book elements and, you know they suggested a costume that was just going to be a gray tracksuit, and they're like and he put some like light up soles in his shoes maybe <laughs> like they're like uh that's not what we're doing here. It's got to be the Flash. Uh, so they got to work on an actual costume, which was designed by a guy named Bob Short, who he was the one who handled kind of the special effects and costumes and everything for Beetlejuice. So there's hmm. another Tim Burton connection there. Um, interesting. So, yeah. So he was very involved, obviously, in in sculpting and creating this idea. He actually um, stated that he had a an interesting method because he's like, you know, basically, you have a character who looks like he's naked, but just spray-painted red if you look at the comics. You know? oh, yeah. And so, what he said was, uh, we covered John, actor John Wesley Shipp, with a bit of spandex, explained short, then we sculpted foam rubber muscles and applied them over the suit on John's real muscles. We then applied a flexible sealer of electrostatic nylon and sprayed that over the foam rubber and spandex, creating a surface coating that seals the entire outside of the costume and when filmed creates the impression of an odd surface texture that makes it hard to figure out what the suit is made of. Uh, Short claims he also modified the costume's belt and boots and did a subtle redesign on the cowl line to give the Flash more of a scowl. So that was definitely something where they, I just thought it was interesting, they, they hired an actor who was, you know, buff enough, essentially, who already had the physique, that they could just sculpt the costume literally based on his own, you know, physiology. I thought that was kind of awesome.
1: That is kind of awesome. And uh, personally, to this date, it's probably the most comic book accurate costume I've ever seen, bar none. I mean, like, it it was... It was like it was ripped out of the pages. Other than him not having yellow boots, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Because uh, yellow boots would not translate to television. But the suit, the symbol, the belt, everything. It was like it was pulled from the pages of the comic. And I was – Russell really captivated. He like, wow, they really figured this out. And um, so I don't know if you know this, but there's – when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths on CW – They obviously didn't have the original costume from 30 years ago, but there's a guy on Instagram who, if anybody wants to check him out, he's pretty amazing. He does a lot of cosplay for people, (laughs) and he creates cowls and costumes. His name is – his Instagram is like ReezFX, R-E-E-V-Z-F-X, and he makes costumes for everything, and he got hired. This is just a guy that does this out of his garage. Got hired by the CW and DC Comics to redo at least the cowl and part of the suit to match exactly to the 90s uh, costume and he, he, he couldn't talk about it till the show premiered and he aired the costume head, the, the cowl and everything and how he did it himself. Unbelievable work. Like you couldn't tell that it was not the same people that did it. It was so good.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's a good bit of trivia there. Uh, and actually, uh, what's interesting too, just regarding the suit is that Bilson and DeMeo, they said they did consider having Barry's costume come out of a ring like it did back in the day. It used to be this thing, you know, it was his ring when it had contact with air once you opened it up then the suit would expand that was like the science behind mm-hmm. it but they just said that was a little too far outside the grounded reality they were trying to create and they opted to have him carry the suit in a briefcase but also that went away pretty quickly i think that was in the pilot and then you don't really see that briefcase because he could just run wherever his costume is he'll run and put it on real quick and he'll run back you know he doesn't yeah, have to superman have go booth. in a phone booth this yeah, guy,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, they they just brought the ring into the CW show for uh, Grant Gustin. Obviously, now they use CGI, and he he points the ring, and the costume shoots out, and he like runs into it or like phases through it into it. Uh, but yes, yeah. they they finally added it and figured it out, and and uh, he got it in the comic, well in the in the car, in the show on the CW from his future daughter who brought the ring to him which is kind of interesting it was kind of
0: yeah cool. that's awesome um now the other part of it is obviously they did say you know the network wanted us to not have super villains initially and so we kind of had to play it like the first few episodes is going to be a lot more evolving like gangsters and different types of criminals and eventually they warmed up to it because they had writers on the show there were actual comic book writers so they had howard chaykin and john francis moore so they really yeah so that's something that's pretty awesome is that they actually managed to have you know real deal comic book people who knew the character who knew how to write in that style but they were somewhat limited you know until a little bit later on when they were able to kind of loosen up a little bit here Um, it's actually interesting let me read this for you real quick from the Flash TV special they mention we've been trying to do the trickster since July Howard and John wrote a version in July the network said no Paul and I wrote a version and the network said no Howard and John wrote a new version with us and the network still said no the problem was we all had this great idea with the trickster we're going to have him in this Victorian asylum like the killing joke and he's got pictures of the Flash on the walls Actually, the show opened with a flash robbing a bank and the trickster stopped him and the people cheered and we saw it was his delusion in the asylum. He thinks that he's the superhero. The Flash is the villain. And he goes through this whole thing, you know. And it's like, we fought and we screamed and they wouldn't let us do it, no matter how many passes we took. <laughs> in June or July, the network started by saying, no, supervillains, be realistic. Then in September, the week after the pilot was on, they said, we have to have sub supervillains. <laughs> we already had 12 stories in development that were these more traditional things. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting as they basically said, yeah, I guess if this is a superhero, you got to have it. A superhero fighting supervillains, somebody who's up to their level, you know, of of ability. Yeah, but I just yeah, it's interesting how that works with the network saying, eh, do we want this? Do we not want it? And then the last thing here, I think, also because if you think about how's the Flash going to look when he's running, were they just going to speed up the camera? And you're like, no, hopefully not. You know, and, and they although they do that a little bit on the show, um, not that much. Not, yeah. I mean.
1: It's, it's usually point of view, like, especially when he's running through the streets, it's all, it's all POV of him running through the streets like you're seeing it through his eyes, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's definitely how they, they do the POV to start, and then when they start showing the full body, uh, they mention here getting the Flash to move at light speed and yet be true to the way such motion is depicted in the comics was a task that sent visual effects director David Stipes back to the source for research. In the comics, when the Flash is moving, you have this long streak and a smear, and you get to see key positions of the Flash in the middle of the streak. Those are the elements that we were imitating on this show. This speedy look is being accomplished by shooting the flash against a black screen. The camera is under-cranked, so he appears to be moving at super speed. The flash uh, speed film is then composited onto the background plate, and the red streak is painted in. According to Stipes, it's all done with cameras.
1: Yeah, they're probably shooting it at about... So, for those of you guys who don't know and are are not film nerds like me, on average, when you're shooting back then, would have been on 35mm film film shoots at 24 frames per second normally a lot of your dv or digital video stuff now shoots on average at 30 frames per second but you can make it look 24 to look filmy so what they would do is they would either slow it down to like 12 frames per second or 10 frames per second and then speed it up in post so it would look like he's going at light speed Even though he's actually moving at same at normal speed, but the camera is just photographing, taking less photographs per second. And in order to do that, especially when you want to see like super slow motion, like stuff in the Matrix, for example, they would over crank it to like 120 or 240 frames per second, and then. When you go to slow motion, it has all these frames that are happening, and it makes it look like it's going in super slow motion, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and we got to give a shout-out to the guys that were doing a lot of the work in that costume, because obviously for the close-ups and things, you got John Wesley Ship in the costume. But it says here in the the Flash TV special, Tom Cahill, who does a lot of the physical Flash stunt work, such as standing in front of a truck during double vision, sits watching the activity with great calm. He comments that the suit is relatively uncomfortable, but he manages to perform without serious problem. Rounding out the extras brigade is stuntman Dane Farwell, who also wears the Flash suit a lot and does much of the extra running required for the Flash. <laughs> he works mostly with the second unit, but is present for doing double duty in the costume this night the suit limits you but it's flexible the heat gets to you but the cool suit helps so (laughs) they actually built this the other thing they explained is after the pilot they didn't realize how much the suit was going to sweat gee a a velvet (laughs) A
1: velvet suit in L.A., I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, and so he's like,
0: like, they would take off my gloves, and the water would just pour out of the gloves, and I used to be a costume character at Disneyland, so I used to play Goofy and all these uh, other tall characters, and we didn't have any such cooling system, Uh, so I feel for them, and yet I don't, because it's like, well, they created this whole vest that went throughout the suit, kind of like, and then they could plug it in in between takes and it would send this like rush of cool air through the system and cool down the actor, which I thought was a really neat way to solve that problem.
1: That's cool. Did you do the Disney internship when you were in college? I didn't,
0: no. It wasn't an internship. I My best friend was working there at the time and so I said, you got a job working at Disney? When's the audition? I'm in. And if you want to hear the whole story you can go and look for the Two Goofs podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts and Podbean and everywhere else. I'll be listening. (laughs) Yeah, a whole 12 episode series on that. But here's my other question for you, Michael. So the other part of this we talked about they were promoting in ads and on TV and all that stuff. But did you see any of the official television show merchandise back in the
1: day or did you own any of it? The action figure I owned, I owned two of them actually. <laughs> I had two of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that was the uh, the Toy Biz DC superheroes the Flash action figure that didn't you crank the back and he
1: kind of yes. vibrated? Oh yeah, I had. I remember he cranked the back. It was awesome. I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is so cool!" <laughs> yes, I totally had two of them, hundred <laughs> percent.
0: Yeah. Now, officially, that was not a Flash TV series piece of merchandise, but in Australia, they reproduced that figure and put it on a card backing. They used promotional art for the show, so that's the only official flash tv show action figure from 1990 the australian version that's hilarious
1: that's pretty funny yeah I, i'm going through all the stills of stuff that you sent me i think i had the pajamas i might have had really i think i i <laughs> I, I definitely had the superman ones and I think I had the, I didn't have the Batman ones. Funny enough, I didn't have the Ninja Turtle ones that are in this picture that I'm looking at. But I I definitely had Superman, and I think I had the Flash also. Even though I was a little bit old for, for Feedy pajamas, I definitely had these.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I mean that's crazy. I mean, because yeah, in the Sears wish book from nineteen ninety, you can find them there. But there was a line of t-shirts, pajamas, sweaters, released to stores. I had the official logo shirt. So it was just a red t-shirt with the lightning bolt on it. And then it at the very bottom it had like the Flash TV logo. But I had a second one that was just a white t-shirt that had the Flash kind of running in profile and had these lightning bolts kind of going around him in a circle. It was really cool. And so those are shirts I wore a lot. But also what was interesting is they tried to market a line of higher end clothing for adults. And in the winter 1991 Warner Brothers collection catalog, they actually have the cast members modeling like licensed Flash TV sh- the, the or leather sh- jackets. Yeah, jackets, mm-hmm. sweaters, even like there was a, a you know, a coffee mug and a Flash fanny pack because mm-hmm. it was the 90s after all.
1: <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Did you subscribe to this Warner Brothers studio catalog? I actually did. Really? <laughs> yes. So when when Batman 89 came out, they gave you like a sample copy of it. And that actually had in it the Batman action figures that you could order it through the mail order catalog. And when you did that, little did I know, I'd be getting this catalog for years and years to come. And so I got this catalog, and I remember seeing these pictures. So when you sent me this, it's like, oh, my goodness, I had this catalog, and I remember that jacket, and I remember these images, 100% had it. Yeah,
0: I mean, I was a regular patron of the Warner Brothers Studio store in my local mall, so I was there all the time, which was where they sold a lot of the stuff that was being promoted in the catalog. But at the same time, some of it was just direct. You had to order it there or you couldn't get it, you know? So, yeah, yeah I don't know that very many of these items ever shipped. Um, (laughs) I'm sure they didn't. (laughs) But other just random items that I've come across included, you know, promotional hats, the Flash shoelaces, some socks, and even a set of Valentine's Day cards for, you know, elementary school kids to take in. So, I mean, they got around a little bit. You know, the show only lasted one season, but they did what they could. And uh, in addition to that, uh, there was the official annual-sized The Flash TV special that we've been referencing and reading from that you'll have a chance to win in the giveaway, but it had two comic book stories based in this universe. One was by a very famous uh, writer and artist named John Byrne, but it was uh, drawn by Javier Saltares, and also... story by Mark Wade, who is another very prominent comic book artist and in the world of The Flash specifically, and this was a kid Flash story that really... If they had gotten to it in season two, it would have been adapted perfectly about this young punk who gets Flash powers and the Flash has to stop him. You know, so it's kind of a, a neat thing there. And then you said that this movie should have been released. You know, the the pilot episode, it's a movie. Well, it did get a release on VHS. You probably saw it at Blockbuster Video. A lot of people on the I was on Laserdisc. You know, and and they did release the Trickster episodes featuring Mark Hamill. They put those two together and turn that kind of into a movie in and of itself. So it did get, you know, that release. And then ultimately, the series was released in 2006 on DVD. And I bought that immediately. Like, I had to have it. I'd been waiting for so long. I'd had my one VHS tape
1: with one episode on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then I was like, I can see it all, finally.
1: And you said it to me the other day. There were so many episodes that came out. That because it jumped around on different nights We definitely missed episodes There were certain ones that I didn't see And now watching And just even skimming through a few Because I didn't get to watch the whole season Because, you know, kids, whatever But hey (laughs) Um, There's a lot that I didn't even remember That I was like, oh my goodness There was two, you know, trickster episodes There was a couple other things that happened That I didn't remember happened Which is cool, you know To see them now on the DVD
0: yeah, it's really, It's a really nice set. They did a very, very nice job putting it together, just the graphics and everything. And again, you'll have an opportunity to win that, so stay to the end of the show, and we'll see if we can get you an entry in that contest. But as we get ready to talk about those episodes, let's quickly go through the cast here. Would you say that you recognized anybody in the cast at the time you were watching it? Was there any familiar face that showed up for you as a kid, Michael?
1: Well funny enough in the pilot the character that plays uh, uh, Julio Alex Desert I remembered him but I guess I remembered him from a different world or um or Parker Lewis can't lose cuz he he was he, I I kind of I I had known that face it's like I I knew that guy from somewhere
0: else but yeah he, I mean he was around like before this he would kind of show up in those shows that you mentioned he was like in Beverly Hills 90210 for one episode I think it was later on like he was on a short-lived show on Fox called The Heights that was about a, a band and their big song was how do you talk to an angel <laughs> if you remember that radio hit from 1991 or so um, but then also he was on uh, the show with Ted Danson when he got his own
1: sitcom Becker, a couple years later, late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Late 90s, yeah. I mean, for everybody, I I mean, anybody who knows this, obviously, the most significant person that was ever on this show is obviously Mark Hamill, who plays the trickster. And I remember growing up, I wasn't as big of a Star Wars fan as I was a, a comic book fan, but just being like, Luke Skywalker is going to be on a TV show with the flash. That to me was tremendous. Like it was, it was tremendous.
0: Yeah. For those who don't know, I mean, Mark Hamill himself is a super comic book nerd.
1: Like he loves comics. Absolutely. And if you go to watch this show or even if you go on YouTube and just watch scenes of him as the trickster, you can 100% see why he ended up voicing the Joker in the Batman the Animated Series, because his portrayal of Trickster on this show is really the Joker, 100%. The voice, the mannerisms, just the things they have Trickster do in the show are much more Joker-esque than they were really Trickster, which is kind of, in the comics, he's kind of a goofball and, and of... Slash's rogues gallery he's kind of a you know i'd call him like the d-list guy right. but in this show his presence and his persona and just the way he uses his voice and and characterization it, it bleeds joker in it like it's just 100 percent.
0: yeah and we're, we're going to get into a little bit more detail on that when we talk about the trickster episodes because yeah there's a lot of parallels to batman the animated series ultimately um but John Wesley Shipp, who plays Barry Allen in The Flash, was not a an actor I knew, although I feel like I maybe should have, because he had just played Bastion's father in The NeverEnding Story 2.
1: Did he really?
0: Uh, yeah. I, because I didn't know who he was till this show, either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he but he was mainly a soap opera actor. I mean, that's what he was known for at that point. And he actually was not even the first choice to play Barry Allen. Bilson and DeMeo wanted this actor named Richard Berge, who was also a soap opera actor. But the network liked Ship better, so he got the role. So it is interesting that Richard Berge uh, eventually got his own TV series. And at the time, Bilson and DeMeo wanted John Wesley Ship for that role, But the network said, we want Richard Berge instead. So it's just funny how, you know, however that worked out for them. They both got their own uh, headlining shows. Now, Amanda Pays, who plays uh, Tina McGee she had been in the original Max Headroom TV series in Britain, and then it got brought over and remade in America, and she was brought over for that. But she had mostly done, like, American horror films like The Kindred or Leviathan, you know? Not, hmm. no, nothing super high profile, but they saw her on Max Headroom, and they're like, oh, she'd be perfect for this. Um Another recurring character who I enjoy quite a bit is Joyce Heiser. She plays this... uh first like private detective uh character megan lockhart who becomes barry allen's love interest even though there's a whole like will they won't they with tina he's actually interested in megan and they actually you know consummate that relationship uh she's only in two episodes but she was on this show uh in this 80s like cross-dressing teen flick called just one of the guys Hmm. Uh, people might have seen that in the video store back in the day. But she's one of those characters coming back that I was always super excited because she and John Wesley's ship had awesome chemistry. Like, they were just so good on screen together. And then one other recurring character who's just kind of fun that they sprinkle in is played by dick miller named fosnight and he's kind of just this guy who's got the word on the street you know he's this old criminal <laughs> he's always up to no good but dick miller if you don't know that name you know his face you've seen him in everything i mean he was this actor who just it was constantly cast until his death i mean and most I, I guess if I was going to point to, you know, the Retro Network listeners, you probably know him from Gremlins as Mr. Futterman, the neighbor, you know. So he he's he's a great, great actor. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: he was he was a definitely a, a huge character actor who always appeared all over the place. And you if you see him, you'll know him. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And then the awesome thing that we've been talking about is that ultimately, even though this show only lasted for one season... These actors have been brought back for the current Flash TV series that the CWs had for years and years, which I love. I'm catching up to it, so I'm on like season three or something. I mean, there's okay. so much more for me to see. But uh, so I don't want to spoil
1: anything for you. <laughs> but you, I, I'm going to be polite. I haven't enjoyed. I haven't enjoyed most of the seasons for various reasons. But the thing that bothers me about the CW series is it predominantly revolves around the main villain being some sort of speed-related villain. Where this show, the main villain or the C- the overarching story throughout the season, there wasn't a flat, necessarily a speedster villain that would be the enemy overall, which I kind of appreciated now looking back because mm-hmm. because the, the cw show kind of becomes
0: yeah it's all the speed force it's a all little speed repetitive phantoms, it's yeah. all this yeah lots of time travel changing timelines all the but the way that they've actually made that cool for fans of this series is because originally just as an homage they brought back john wesley's ship to play this new barry allen's father Oh, who gets framed fantastic. for his, his wife's murder, and he's in jail. And he was great in that role. And then all of a sudden, they have this whole storyline with the Jay Garrick Flash from Another Earth, and there's this guy who says he's Jay Garrick, and then it turns out he's not, and all this other stuff. But then you meet the real Jay Garrick, and it's John Wesley's ship.
1: <laughs> it's awesome.
0: And he's that Flash. And, then, and they finally have been doing these crossover events the last two years with all the CWs, shows like green arrow and you know legends of tomorrow and all that and they brought back initially this from earth 90 they call it this barry allen and it was so exciting when we saw he's got the suit back on he's back i can't believe it and then he was gone in two seconds like the first time he showed up and i was like no
1: yeah just do that yeah in in the elseworlds crossover from last year he's there and gone in under a minute like you see him and then you see him again and then he gets vaporized and you're like what really they blew that whole thing like they made this such a big deal and then in in crisis that happens this year i don't want to spoil it he has a more significant role but it's, he's not there long enough and i wanted him there more yeah and, i mean and, at least
0: he was there a little bit more yeah he had he had an, a pivotal role um, but also, I mean, leading up to that, even they've had some very fun moments where they had Amanda Pays come back as Tina McGee, you know, and they even had Julio Mendez, you know, in a, one of the alternate timelines that they crossed <laughs> over. There was, you know, like a, a Sergeant Mendez or something, you know, and so they had Alex Desert come back and play that role. So right. they, they they've did. sprinkled stuff in here and there. And I've loved that about the series in those early seasons, at least it meant a lot to
1: me. I was like, oh, so great. No, me too. No, I appreciate that. Because it it does show a nice homage to this show, which was, I mean, at least for us, and I've actually spoken to a lot of people that are our age, it was a significant show. Even if you weren't necessarily a comic book fan, you know, you were a superhero fan, whether you liked Superman the movie or you liked Batman or, or whatever, th- this was a significant show for a lot of people because it was like, an adult live action superhero show in prime time. And it wasn't a Saturday morning cartoon. And that was, that was a cool thing so yeah for sure i mean and it just
0: just the whole tone of the series which now we're going to get into reviewing this pilot movie quickly uh and so i'm curious for you michael how did you feel that this set up the world of the flash did you like it did you dislike it like what what was your your as a kid i guess i would say and then going back and watching it now how did you feel about it
1: as a kid i was obsessed this was awesome and i said to my Myself, I was like, this should have been in the theaters because it's a movie. And I rewatched it again this week, and I still feel that way. It was an excellent pilot, and they really went for broke on this show on this pilot. It's a fantastic thing. And I think a lot of that has to do with John Wesley's ship really. Sinking his teeth into this role and and believing it and and selling it all the way and I appreciate that he didn't have to be a, a blonde-haired guy like he was a brunette guy whatever you, you know he felt like an everyman who got these ability and went with it and even though the origin is different than the comics and different than the different origin stories that have had happened over the years. I was good with it. It it made sense and it's it's a fantastic pilot. Really, really to me still to this day
0: yeah and for those who only recall it you know vaguely the main premise of the pilot is that you know barry allen is a police scientist who's kind of always lived in the shadow of his older brother jay which was an homage to jay garrick um and basically his dad was a beat cop and now jay is a beat cop but barry's in the lab and they just always look down on him and so he's kind of got this complex and what happens is there's this ex-cop who has... Gone crazy and started this gang of bikers that go around wreaking havoc in the city. They have these like glowing green bombs, which are really cool. They are cool. (laughs) And, uh, but there's this whole situation where Jay gets killed, but in the meantime, while all this is happening, Barry has the lab accident, gets struck by lightning, and it affects his metabolism. It speeds it up. So then he gets sent over because there's some sort of like cellular change in him. The test. Show So then he gets hooked up with Tina McGee at Star Labs, and then she says, well, let me study you. And then as she's doing the test, they figure out, like, you can go 347 miles an hour, you know? She's like, that's not even your top speed, and all this stuff. And so they figure out, like, what I enjoyed about it is they explain the functionality of the costume, right? Like we see Barry when he first realizes he has super speed, like it tears up his clothes, like just yes. running at that speed. And so she gives him a costume that can withstand his body moving at that velocity, keep him from shredding his clothes all the time. And um, she makes
1: a funny joke. She says, you could either wear this or you could run around naked. And it just <laughs> it's still funny to this day. Now, here's a very significant thing that I have to point out, and it's bothered me to no end about the Justice League movie, which, uh, if you're reading anything in the news, is going to be basically wiped out of existence in the continuity of the movies. But the Barry Allen of the Justice League movie, he doesn't have gloves. He has fingerless gloves of some sort. But Barry Allen, the forensic scientist on this show, specifically asks her, When you make me gloves, I need gloves so that I don't leave fingerprints. And that is really significant because he's a forensic scientist. He dusts for fingerprints. Why would he want to leave his prints anywhere? And that bothered me so badly about the Justice League movie that this guy, who's Barry Allen, you have to assume he's a forensic scientist because that's what he is in the comics, doesn't have fingerless gloves. Why would he want his fingerprints anywhere? And that drove me crazy. So
0: yeah, I mean, it's very much they tried to take it and say, okay, realistically, as realistically as we can, at least, how do you make this character fit in a world with some logic and that he is an, you know, an intelligent individual who figures out how it's all going to work and so you know throughout the course of the pilot that's what it is it's kind of like step by step right he's just he's figuring out okay i have the powers now how do i control it how does it affect me and he keeps having these kind of blackouts where you know it's he's kind of out of energy so he has to eat a whole bunch of food right so that's kind of one of the jokes that is he's eating a whole bunch of food constantly but that's realistic right if he's burning up all those calories he's got to restore them somehow and they explain
1: it in the show they talk about like oh you you're you're exerting so much energy that you need to replenish it. And they, they I loved that about this show. They really thought about it, and and that was that was significant because yeah, it made it real. You know yeah and then i mean
0: ultimately you know it's uh it's pretty cool when they do show all the different effects of him running when he's fighting the biker gang you know and he like running alongside one of the motorcycles just sticks a piece of wood in it and then it makes it flip over you know whatever he's gonna do he like disassembles a guy's bike you know at super speed you know all of that and ultimately he has a big battle uh with pike at the end and that's the only part of it that I think is a little bit goofy is that he spins around him, and just you know, on set the way they actually did that effect is they had two people in a flash costume running around him. You know, <laughs> really? They, yeah. So like, sometimes they did just make it that practical and slow down the camera or whatever to you know to get the blur but then he he goes so fast that he gets caught up in a whirlwind and he ends up on top of this you know electrical uh, I don't I don't know the official term for it but essentially he gets electrocuted and that's kind of goofy looking you know anytime there's like a oh, wind that's carrying the person up but overall it's it's a really cool end battle because like the bad guys have taken over this prison and they're letting people out and, and you know so now they have an even bigger army and they've got all the guns to fight off the cops so you know only the flash could have gotten in there to
1: save the day the only gripe that i do have is that end thing and i'll tell you why well first of all the idea that he steals this is a spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it he steals all of the tear gas and just dumps it through all the air ducts which i thought was great and really makes a lot of sense and then this way nobody knows it's him and they all get all the people get taken down except for pike now The two problems I have with it is, one, when he does stop running and he punches Pike, it is the worst cinematic choreographed punch I've ever seen. (laughs) I was like, this does not look right. I don't know what the problem with it is. It just doesn't feel or look right. It looks like, because he hits him with his left hand every time, I think... He might be a righty, and just because the way the camera was set up or where his positioning was, you got to use your left hand. And he throws a punch so awkwardly. I'm like, this is not how he would naturally punch, I don't think. And then the whirlwind thing where Pike goes up on the the electrical wires and then it gets struck by lightning, he would be dead, period. (laughs) Yet he just falls to the ground and then Flash ties him up. And I was like, you know what? Listen, I get it. Barry Allen, as a character, doesn't kill, and he's a good guy, but this guy killed his brother. If he let him get electrocuted, I don't think it would have been that big of a taboo or a bad thing to kill this guy that way, but... It's TV, it's the 90s, it is what it is. So Yeah,
0: and I think ultimately what this movie does is that it, it does establish this world in just such a, a dark, grim... Although there is humor amongst the characters, but it's a very stylized world where, you know, you feel the atmosphere. You know, it is, you know, dark. Most of the action is taking place at night. The flash is always lit in a very dramatic way. You know, even like there's an awesome just pan up from his feet up to his face. You know, and they use it in the opening credits of the series, but he's just like just a little bit of like heaving. You know, you can just see him like he's he's got this anger burning inside him, and they purposely said like this character is going to be intense you know he's going to be a little bit gritty he's not going to be you know batman 66 for sure like we're trying to take this in a new direction we got closer to that with the tim burton's batman and we're just kind of taking it to the next step
1: except for one scene (laughs) which one is that so there was a scene where he has to go to iris's gallery opening right and he's late, and so he runs, and it's daylight, and you can tell that he's running through the streets of Los Angeles, and he go, and then he ends up at a beach, and he's in the water, and his clothes are all torn up, and he goes, "Where am I?" And he sees it's like Central Beach or Crystal Beach or something like that it's called. I I didn't read the sign very well. He goes, oh, it was th- I, I just ran thirty miles. And like then he un- he's underneath like a, a a lifeguard stand. That's the only part that I felt like it was it was clearly shot for the pilot, but it's, it doesn't fit with the rest of the world. Was that one sequence? That's true, yeah, because it literally is taking him
0: off a sound stage, right? It, yeah, because they they did they filmed it all in a backlot and on stages. Like it, they didn't do a whole lot of. You know actual shooting out on location uh for this series which allowed them to control the whole universe i mean they even had a series of artists that did murals that are up all over the place that like at all the major like civic events and things that he attends like there's always these very stylized murals that kind of tied everything together So let's get into the series then after this, because like we said, two-hour pilot, and then they really start introducing what this is going to be on a week-to-week basis. And I do feel that although there was a little bit of humor in this movie, I feel like they inject quite a bit more as the series goes on. Again, not the superhero side of it is never made fun of. It's just amongst the characters, there's a lot of humor. And I have to say... Two of my favorites that just are in every episode, and they always are just a breath of fresh air, are Officers Murphy and Bellows.
1: Those guys are fantastic. They're (laughs) hilarious. I love them. They are hilarious.
0: And they're, they're just they always have some new scheme they're coming up with like murphy is the cop who thinks he's smarter than everybody else he's always trying to like figure out he's like yeah i'll write a book about my adventures yeah people want to know murphy's law that's what he <laughs> calls it you know it's like stuff like that and then bellows is this kind of like nice guy but a little bit more kind of i mean he's at least portrayed as kind of an idiot in some level and he's the one who believes in the flash he's seen the flash you know he is he thinks that Murphy might be the flash. You know, he was like don't worry Murph, your secret's safe with me you know Murphy's like, what are you doing? Come on you know and they're just back and forth back and forth all the time and I just I love them whenever they come on screen they never disappoint well written,
1: well performed they are yeah, they are fun characters they're definitely enjoyable and they're very I also I really like Julio too as a character. I think he's a good, boils on the right word but he's like a good sidekick kind of a character and i i always hoped that he would have gotten speed powers at some point and i don't know it would have been cool Well, yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, his main function always seems to be to try to get Barry to socialize and to hook up with girls. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's always talking to him about. He's like, look, I know this girl. You're going to have a great time, you know? And so there's always jokes about that going back and forth. Like, yeah, the last girl that you hooked me up with, blah, 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 you know? But also, um, I think one thing that we should mention in addition to that, because like you said, there's kind of Julio is a welcome, laid back character in this universe. Um, John Wesley ship at times, I think plays it a little too intense or he's he just too quick to anger but they don't ever call attention to it like that that's a character flaw or anything else but there's a lot of times in a lot of episodes where he just flips out he's like what's this newspaper report about the flash all that i do for this city you know he just gets really mad all of a sudden you're like whoa 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 you know like so I, i think like his in his intense moments sometimes seem out of place i don't think they were necessarily written that way i think he's taking it to another level so that's my I only, you know, as a, a former actor myself back I, in the I wonder if uh, that
1: stems from his soap opera days. Like, Exactly. You know, because they go from mellow to intense in the blink of an eye, and I feel like that probably stemmed from it. That being said, I do think that he plays the Flash role extremely well. Yes, oh, yeah. he's a little bit darker than Barry Allen is in the comics, but... I'm okay with that. I also think that was by design for the show because that was just what it was. Oh, we got to somehow emulate Batman. Like you got to figure out how we can make it more like Batman. And that was the thing that that everybody wanted to achieve back then. But but yes, there are are moments where –
0: As Barry and and The Flash, like, it's a subtle difference, but he does, you know, have a more likable nature when he's Barry versus when he's The Flash, and he does kind of play it just straight-laced like, I'm being serious now, you know?
1: You know what's funny, though? I noticed in the pilot when I watched it, like, once he has his speed, and yet he's in the lab, and he's doing, you know, forensic analysis— and he's, like, sitting there waiting for the computer to analyze stuff because the 90s, the computers were super slow. And he's just, like, sitting there. He's like – and you can see it on his face. He's like, almost like, all right, getting impatient that the computer's going so slow for him. And yeah. that, that, that stuff made me laugh. I was like, okay, I can see that. That makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's he's getting a little frustrated there. Um, So I think we should talk about some of our favorite episodes. And I know you said you didn't get to watch the whole series – Uh, But talk to me a little bit. Are there any particular episodes that you did get to watch in this go-around that stood out to you?
1: Unfortunately, I only watched bits and pieces. And there was two that I really liked. One was the episode 13, Tina, Is That You?, (laughs) <laughs> where, are like we're like her her personality splits and there's one that's a villain and one that's her normal self or like super nice that one i really enjoyed and i'm drawing a blank on what it's called but there was another episode where there was like a different flash character but he, it was john playing a Flash character, but it was a villain, and it was a blue costume. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: called Twin Street.
1: That's what it's called. Yeah, that's but it's like it.
0: this scientist who is actually able to clone the Flash. Yes. And he's called Pollux. That's right. Yeah. Yes, But he yeah, has a blue Flash costume? Like, that That yeah. was crazy. They created a whole new costume in blue. Just and for, for one episode. Like, yeah. but he, And he's like this innocent, you know, that's just like, yeah, because he was just created, right? He was just born. Yeah. And they're kind of training him and saying like, oh, you have to do this for us. You have to have this power. But he kind of gets out of the lab and then he doesn't know that he's causing problems, you know? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. One that really stood out to me is the episode called Child's Play because there's a couple things in this that are cool. Number one, like I said, uh John Wesley's ship was the dad in the never story two, and the star of the never ending story two was Jonathan Brandis. And so this is a reuniting of those actors because Jonathan Brandis plays the kid in this episode.
1: Really? And he's
0: he's like this homeless kid who's kinda, you know, a pickpocket and all this stuff, and Barry ends up having to take care of him and his sister. And so it was just very cool to see them together because you could tell they already had their established chemistry. And so they they have some fun scenes. But in that episode also, Barry mentions the Arkham Exposé which tells us, oh, okay, Arkham Asylum exists in this universe. Mm. And then he's walking by a theater where there's a double feature of Burton's Batman and the Donner's Superman. Really? And they're on the marquee. The movie posters are out front. It's obviously just an in-joke, you know, the
1: producers put in there. The Easter egg, as they call it nowadays, yeah. Right.
0: And so the question I have, though, is does that mean that – are Batman and Superman real in this universe and they make movies about them? Or are they fictional characters in this universe? You know, so it's like, makes you wonder about that whole multiverse
1: angle. That's a good question. That trying to That's say. a really yeah. good co- I wonder. Because, like, the, there's, you know, up until Justice League, the movie, and, and the, the new DCEU, there was always like these fan made posters where it would be like, john's flash and then keaton's batman and yeah. christopher reed well, and Superman
0: mashups on like youtube where people would do like a trailer oh,
1: for a yeah. justice league movie and use all that footage right <laughs> absolutely it is interesting because you could make an argument that this flash series the way the city is of central city is the same style as gotham city in batman 89 oh yeah without a doubt And when they cut to, like,
0: the map paintings of the city, it could be the Dick Tracy universe. Right. 100%. (laughs) Looks the same. But, yeah, but uh, as far as Easter eggs go, while we're on that topic, just to add to that conversation, also... In the Trickster episode, there is actually a policeman's costume ball that's going on, and after all the you know, the craziness goes down, outside there's a bunch of people in costumes talking to the police, and there's a guy in a full on Superman costume. Is there really? It- Yeah. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) Is that supposed to be Superman or is he dressed as Superman? But again, that character exists on some level for them. And then even in what really puts it over for me to say, I think it's real, but I don't know, is in the Captain Cold episode. Barry is kind of having this back and forth with this reporter that's really getting in his grill. And he dismissively refers to her as Lois Lane. He's like, can we get Lois Lane out of here? And so it's like, again, does Lois Lane exist as a journalist or is he just seen the movie at the movie
1: theater the other night? You know, <laughs> really? so speaking of journalists, did you notice in the pilot episode the journalist that's trying to interview him at one of the crime scenes? You know who that In is, the right? Park, what? Right?
0: Is that Wally West's girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, where is
1: she from? Yeah. Yes. That's supposed to be her. Wally West's girlfriend, yeah.
0: Yeah, an older Asian lady who looks more like Connie Chung. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Th- but but yes,
1: that's that's reference to Wally West's girlfriend.
0: Oh, yeah. See, I mean, like I said, they did that so much throughout this series. Now, for me, uh, one particular episode that really stood out, thats a man. It was actually one of the ones I did manage to catch, although I didn't record it back in the day, which was called Ghost in the Machine. And what it was is about this previous vigilante that operated in the 50s in Central City called Nightshade. And hmm. they said actually uh Danny Bilson said they intentionally gave him the look of the Golden Age Sandman character. Really? Uh yeah, with the gas mask and the fedora and the hat and everything. But Who was also in Justice Society of
1: America by the way. Yes. If you it in Exactly.
0: Know. And so, but so the, the history of a vigilante that was coming out of retirement is how that episode is set up because basically there's this character called the ghost who learned how to control television signals and radio waves and nightshade was like, you know, his arch nemesis. And then in their last encounter, the ghost puts himself in cryogenic sleep and then he wakes up in 1990 and now he's back at it, except that the nightshade is an old man now right. and he's become a doctor in town and he's very respected and all this stuff, Dr. Powell. And so now he's got to come out of retirement to fight the ghost. But it gets mixed up with the Flash, and so they team up, and it's all very, very cool. But what it reminds me of is a very similar character from Batman the Animated I knew you and, were going to say that. Yeah,
1: I knew, the Grey Ghost. The Grey Ghost, 100%. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Because when I saw – like, I didn't get to watch this episode, but I did see, like, the little snippet of it, and I was like – this is where the gray ghost came from in Batman the Animated Series. you
0: can't tell me Paul Dini was not watching this show. Right, when came around, you know, like it, it's a hundred percent right in that wheelhouse. Although that particular story on Batman the Animated Series, he's portrayed by Adam West, and it's an old television actor who played a superhero on TV, right. you know. But it's still, it's, it's it's got some parallels to it. But then they did a follow-up episode featuring Nightshade again called deadly nightshade where this other character has come in and is using the nightshade persona but he's like the punisher so he's like coveted he's just mowing bad guys down with machine guns and stuff
1: do you know and who so, he is though who the actor is yes So oh. go
0: ahead tell me <laughs> richard <Berge. laughs> ah, the original choice for the flash <laughs> so they brought him back
1: to play um, a villain which is pretty hilarious. yeah
0: yeah, It's actually what's extra cool about this episode, for whatever reason, I don't know if you watched this series back in the day, but at the end, Richard Berge's character stops being the nightshade, and he puts on this mechanical exoskeleton that looks like the main character from the 90s Sam Raimi TV series,
1: Mantis. Did you uh, ever watch that on Fox? If it was comic book related on TV, <laughs> I watched it. Yes, I did watch Mantis. I maybe we'll do an episode on Mantis in the future we where we could talk about it much more. <laughs> but yes, I did watch the show.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I mean obviously Mantis was a very different setup. That was about a, a guy who actually, you know, got paralyzed and then he can put on this exoskeleton so he could walk and fight crime and all this <laughs> stuff, but the look of the suit itself was very similar. And so yeah. I was just like, Oh, Mantis <laughs> Again. Did they get inspired by this episode? Is Sam Raimi watching the flash? probably probably and then uh the other piece of that in all of this like saying like bringing back characters returning characters there's actually an episode where pike gets released from prison so they bring him back you know the villain from the pilot doesn't
1: and doesn't he like travel through the future like there's a time vortex i i didn't watch it recently but i remember that episode because i thought growing up that was going to be the season finale it was like this mm-hmm. t- the time but then they but it wasn't there was a couple episodes after that i think or maybe one or two but yeah. yes i do remember that episode significantly cuz he came back and it was like a big deal like oh the first villain the villain who killed his brother is back he's out of prison and then there's like time travel and a time vortex yeah, it's and-
0: kind of it's kind of like a days of future past type thing yeah. he he gets shot uh pike shoots a nuclear missile at him and then when it explodes it sends him you know through the fabric of reality to the future i guess and then pike is now this like corrupt mayor and it's like a dystopian society it's, it's, it's kind of like the biff tannen uh, you know becoming mayor in uh back to the future part 2 which is kind of like this evil version of that world but the funniest part of that speaking of uh, bellows and murphy they're now old men they're not cops anymore they're running an antique shop and they get arrested by pike's you know security force for having contraband which was that toy biz the flash action figure we were talking about that's (laughs) hilarious appearance on the show that's fantastic that is Uh, hilarious gotta boost those sales absolutely Just another random piece here, you know, obviously our retro network listeners are going to get a kick out of this, but there's an episode where uh, there's a bad guy who is able to control the Flash, and he has, like, these VR goggles, and then he's got this control glove which is just a Nintendo Power Glove painted black, you know? They put a few extra wires and lights on it, but he's totally got a Power Glove on.
1: Oh, the Power Glove. Did you have a Power Glove growing up?
0: No, my, my friend did, and I played it at his house once, and so I was like, well, glad I didn't spend any money on this. Right,
1: <laughs> right. I felt the same way. Like, my friend had it, too, and I was like... All right, the novelty was over after one use. Like, I, I was a big advocate of like the Nintendo Power Pad, where you could do like the track and field. So that was a yeah. lot of fun. And but that the, I have, I and had, that like, I play with. That, that my kids love it too. Do they? Re- oh man, I gotta like fly to your house and just spend a weekend with you. Oh, just, there's oh fun to be had. Oh, come on, fun to be had. I'm telling you, I, I'm I've been trying to convince my wife to go to Arizona for a long time. Maybe we gotta go <laughs> with a family trip soon. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But um speaking of fun, I think we got to close out just discussing these episodes featuring the trickster. Yeah. Because these were by far like the highest profile like you said getting Mark Hamill in there even though his career was not on fire in the 80s and 90s really you know late 80s 90s he wasn't doing a whole lot but bringing him in here he was perfect and like you said i mean the trickster is 100% a prototype for the way he played the joker even so much as to say that in the episode which is the final episode of the series the trial of the trickster the trickster he has this imaginary sidekick that he calls prank. And he's like, oh, in his mind, he's got this female sidekick who's like his love interest and helps him in all his things. But, you know, he never really had that. And so it's really strange. So his first appearance, he takes the Megan Lockhart character, becomes obsessed with her, and he says, oh, you know, he kidnaps her, puts her in this spandex outfit, and he calls her prank. Mm -hmm. And then when he comes back in the trial of the trickster, he now has this admirer who's obsessed with him and she becomes prank to like help him break out of prison and all this other stuff and then he goes on this whole uh, adventure which is really fun because he is getting the flash to become his goofy sidekick he has these boots that he puts on the flash that he can control his mind and so the flash is like oh yeah boss (laughs) you know and he's like just makes a lot of goofy jokes and they're like best buddies and the prank character is feeling left out now she's like hey i let you out i'm your sidekick not the flash and so the relationship that the joker and harley quinn have is a hundred percent the same as what the trickster and prank had because he doesn't treat her well he's always like talking down to her but she's still totally devoted to him Mm -hmm. and you know she's got even kind of the same like accent and attitude um, so I just, I, I again, I, I'm not saying that Paul Dini stole Harley Quinn from this because he says, you know, I was friends with Arlene Sorkin. I saw her in a dream sequence on a soap opera dressed as a jester. That inspired me to create Harley Quinn. But this had to be swimming around in his mind also. It had to be. You had to have seen it had, this. Well, yeah. it,
1: it, it, if not him, I mean, uh, Bruce Timm as well. Like the two of them created Harley Quinn together and... It had to have. There's no way. There's no way. Because I do remember this episode and I do remember that character and in particular the way that they have Mark Hamill portray Trickster with his relationship to Flash and his relationship to Prank, it's the same way that Joker looks at Batman and Harley Quinn. Like Batman is really Joker's true love. Just like Flash is Trickster's true love. And then there's this other person who they have a relationship together, but she's really obsessed with the Joker or or, or Trickster. It's the same dynamic in both cases, which I found very interesting.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to have a final episode, I mean, the trial of the trickster is the way to go out because they had huge stunts, lots of explosions, lots of like comedy and fun. And Mark Hamill is so over the top. And it's just it's it's the way you would say, you know, yes, this is very comic booky, but I think they finally had hit like their perfect balance. They're like, this is it. This is what the show would have been going forward. Unfortunately, it got canceled after that first season. Now, there are kind of two factors with that. The first was the budget for each episode was $1.6 million. Which
1: back then was a fortune.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's crazy to imagine that much. I mean, they really, they were making mini movies every week. It was shot on film. They had to have all the special effects. I mean, it was not a cheap thing to produce. But also, like we mentioned, they moved it around so much that it just never was able to get a devoted audience because, again, even those of us who were dying to see more, we couldn't. Yeah, We couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Absolutely. So, ultimately, it went away, and uh, the... At the same time, you know, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMail were working on The Rocketeer that was about to come out, and I think uh, Danny Bilson said, he's like, yeah, so The Flash got canceled in May, and then The Rocketeer came out in, like, June, you know, so it was like, we didn't have time to cry over it, but we had plans for season two where we really were going to expand the universe, you know, we wanted to have people like Vandal Savage, who people who watch uh, uh, Legends of Tomorrow are familiar with that character. But he's basically a, a caveman who became super intelligent and immortal, and uh, so he, you just can't kill him. It, he exists throughout time. Actually, in my Greatest Flash stories ever told. There's a, a team up with, you know, Barry Allen and Jay Garrick to fight Vandal Savage, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but they, they wanted to bring in the weather wizard, which was actually the first villain on the CW, yeah. uh, show. And they just said we couldn't afford to do it at the time, but we were hoping if the show did well in season two, they would bump up our budget. you <laughs> know we had two million dollars an episode. What more do you guys need? Um, and then they said even, the season one opener was going to be all of the previous flash villains so like mirror master the trickster and Mm -hmm. all these characters coming together to take down the flash like so that was going to be like the big you know hey we're back and look the flash is in trouble
1: but again they never got to do it so just so you know i did a little quick math season one cost the network $35,200,000, $35,200,000, 22 episodes. Man. That's a lot of money in 1990, I'll tell you. Yeah. So here's the funny thing about that, right? Yes, we've already covered the fact that they jumped around nights and everything. This show got a full season order of 22 episodes, which a full season order for most shows is 22 to 24 episodes, give or take. And to get it canceled, it seems odd. Like nowadays, if that were to happen, some other network, whether it's Netflix or wherever, might have tried to pick it up like they did with like Designated Survivor and Lucifer and those other shows and see if they can give it new life. But looking at – I didn't know how much it cost per episode till just now. I could see why they canceled it because of the cost per episode. And putting up against various shows that were heavy hitters and then and ultimately relegating it to Saturday night was – it's, you know, nail in the coffin, so to speak, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, unfortunately, it was just, you know, uh, a series of unfortunate events, if you will, that kind of led to all that. So I, I I think the good news is, though – it made an impact. I mean, people knew about it. I think people that got to see it were impressed by it. I don't. This is not one of those like superhero TV shows that everybody mocks and looks back at. It's like, oh, do you remember when they did this show? Like, it's not that. It's like, wow, there was this show in 1990. It only lasted one season, but it was pretty good. I think is is the general
1: legacy of The Flash. Absolutely, because you know the only other superhero related live-action show that I could think of in the 90s was Lois and Clark the Real Adventures of Superman and that show in comparison to this show other than when Smallville happens you know years later this holds itself in a higher regard at least in my mind as a legit show like this was for the first time on a network television to try to take a superhero character seriously. And that was a big deal.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's it's one of those shows that would we have wanted to see more? Probably. I mean, if it had come back for season two, is there anything you would have wanted them to do or something you would have changed that you think would have made it even more enjoyable for you is there there anything that comes to mind that says yeah if this had happened i I think maybe either it would have caught on with other people or i would have just been extra
1: excited so you know this is looking through 2020 eyes as opposed to nine or ten year old me back then i would have loved to see reverse flash show up i would have liked to see jay garrick appear and be his brother, but from a different earth and, and, and introduce the multiverse, which would be really kind of cool on television. Because still to this day, people who are outside of comics have no idea what the multiverse is. And they hear that term and it sounds like cuckoo bananas. But, <laughs> but, uh, I think that would be really interesting if they could have done that and brought those two characters in. Because that would spark the ability to, to introduce other superheroes similar to what Smallville does years later with introducing the Justice Society and stuff like that. But I think that would have been really significant to show Jay Garrick because maybe they could have said, hey, your Barry Allen's pretty intense and your Flash is pretty serious. Maybe we could bring in Jay and kind of mellow you out and help the character evolve more into becoming the Barry Allen of the comics and be more chill and less serious all the time. Yeah, I mean,
0: definitely, I, I think they could have... uh worked some of those elements in because i mean john wesley ship is very likable but yeah like i said just those those moments where he's kind of quick to anger or whatever else maybe tone those down a little bit i think for me the multiverse idea is very cool as well Uh, i mean you definitely could say something like you know what if they had gotten linda carter to reprise oh. her role as Wonder Woman and brought her on for one episode. You know, th- things of that nature. Even, like, you know, it didn't have to be super goofy. I mean, maybe Adam West, you know, comes back, maybe not as Batman, but, you know, just like he did The Great Ghost on Batman the Animated Series, you can kind of get those those actors. Bill Bixby was doing whole TV movies at the time. So maybe, again, he's he's Marvel. He's not coming in as Bruce Banner, but people know him as, you know, oh, he was on cbs and had his popular superhero show so let's get him to play a scientist that helps barry for one episode just anything like that i think would have been fun just casting choices but as far as like the series as a whole where they could take it for me i guess i would like to have seen um The continuing continuity, so yeah, more Nightshade episodes, if you could get more, you know, the trickster, like you said, uh, coming back and being a supervillain. But I feel like if they had been able to do a little bit more with things like, you know, uh, time travel as well would have been a lot of fun. Uh, Even, uh, you know, because they've done a lot of these awesome things with the CW series. But at the same time, like you said, it's gotten super convoluted. And I feel like maybe for this, it could be more just one-off episodes, but they were a lot of fun. And you're kind of like, oh, that was a cool idea. And uh, and uh ultimately, I think, you know, Tina has to get uh, speed powers for one episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
1: know? absolutely. Yeah, that that's bound to happen. It, it, you know, uh, I, I also, I was bummed that there relationship didn't really become something toward the end of the season more than it should have been the more they just like a will they won't day i was also very glad that iris west wasn't the main love interest because for barry allen he's such a smart guy he needs somebody who's equally as intelligent and on his level and has similar ideas and views. And I felt their chemistry was so much better than, at least in the pilot where they had Iris, their chemistry wasn't the best. And also, since you're only early on in the Flash TV show for CW, I think it was the first season, maybe it was the second season, where there was a detective named, uh, I think it was Patty or something like that, who plays Barry's girlfriend for several episodes, and I felt their chemistry was so strong I was really bummed when they wrote her off of the show because she has such a better chemistry with him than any other uh female leads in the show to this point.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you know you you definitely wanna play with that as much as you can, although I, I in one of the articles they actually did mention they're like, look, it has to be a will they won't they with tina and barry we can't uh, really have them come together because that always kills the tension on a show like moonlighting or whatever else right so it's just not we weren't going to go that direction but yeah i think if you could have given barry whether it was megan or whoever it was going to be like a more consistent love interest for a while that could have made for a very interesting show and actually i feel like they probably would have done that and then megan would have gotten killed off you know in this really dramatic season ender and now is barry gonna go off the deep end he's out for vengeance they gotta bring him back you know whatever it's gonna be and uh yeah and then ultimately a kid flash is gonna show up yeah. you know it's just it's just gonna happen but i was thinking it would be that jonathan brandis character probably right? It, uh, would right that would make that ultimately. would make
1: sense you know yeah. totally and you know i would have liked to have seen an elseworld story where his brother Jay Allen didn't exist because I don't know if he existed in the comics at that point or ever before. I I only know Barry Allen as being an only child from all I can think of, and him seeing his mother get killed and and the father going to jail and like seeing an World story or like a you know a, a alternate reality multiverse type of story where that was the story of his origin and. The difference between the two would have been interesting because how would he react because you know when, when his brother dies he's a grown up and he straight up rages out to go after Pike but in the comics and in the Flash TV show of today his mother dies when he's a child in front of him kind of like Bruce Wayne, Batman and his parents and it's years and years later before he becomes the Flash so his personality and the way he's dealt with the pain of that is different than an instant pain, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he definitely could have been a, you know, he could even counsel himself, his alternate self. Right. They could talk about it. He could appreciate that he didn't go in that direction. But yeah, so, I mean, there's so many, so many things they could have done, but I think as it stands as a single season show, it's pretty, fantastic you know it comes together there's always a few clunkers and in any series but i feel like they were headed in the right direction and you know we've said you know there is a a fond remembrance for it out there and then all the more so now that john wesley ship has been on the the cw show and they've actually released two very cool john wesley ship One was an action figure, which is super hard to find and it's super expensive. And, um, but this, so they actually released a really nicely sculpted one there and, uh, recently at GameStop. And I don't know why I didn't buy it when I saw it, but they had a fully sculpted statue. Of the '90s, Flash. You know the. Did they really? They How did I not yes. know this? How I did know, I not I know? Giving you a
1: heads up, Here dude. I would have bought. I would have bought it for both of us and shipped it to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: so if you uh, happen to have a GameStop that has uh, old stock, you might find it. Well, thanks so much for joining us, for listening. If you want more 90s comic book talk, you can find us over at Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the bi-weekly podcast where we're taking you through the 90s comic book boom one issue of Wizard Magazine at a time. But now, it's time to explain how you can enter to win the Flash Complete Series DVD set or a copy of the Flash TV special comic book. So, to be eligible, first you must be following Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, on Twitter, at Wizards Comics, or you can follow us on Instagram, at Wizards underscore comics, And then there are going to be two ways you can actually earn your entry in the drawing. So first is you'll be able to retweet our Twitter post about the contest on your own feed, and then at one of your comic book-loving friends, suggesting they check out Wizards, the Podcast Guide to Comics. We have so much fun uh, doing the show, but then we have a lot of fun in between episodes on social media talking to all you guys. I mean, so many fans out there with so much knowledge and excitement and enthusiasm like us so we just want to grow the same on Instagram you can add one of your friends in the comments of our contest post and then suggest they listen to the show we found that ultimately just sharing with your friends and letting them know that you enjoy it is the best promotion we could ask for so certainly do that and if you would like to get a second bonus entry you can go ahead and follow the retro network at trn social on twitter or instagram You'll be glad you did because they are the hub for all things retro, including awesome podcasts like Wizards, Sequel Quest, the Retro Network podcast, and bonus shows like the TRN Drive-In, where Michael and I just covered the 1990 Dick Tracy film. They have other different type of game show podcasts. There's there's just a lot of fun stuff happening, whether it's the podcast feed or the RetroNetwork.com, where there's a lot of content going up, and they're adding new contributors all the time with great memories of the past and also explorations so just so you know there is one dvd set available and then there'll be six copies of the comic book that we'll be able to distribute so plenty of folks will walk away with a prize in this contest the winner will be selected and announced on the wednesday following this show dropping onto the retro network podcast feed so we wish you all luck
1: until next time guys dive into the speed force and hang out in the multiverse till we see you again